The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Sorry for the te- uh, technical difficulties, but we are finally here on Wacky Wednesday of the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. I'm Adam Best, here as always with the golden voice of Sterling Goose Holmes and producer Richard doing his thing behind the scenes. Uh, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, Goose was put there by Richard and it has not changed. So apparently I'm just going to ride with it. Uh, I love Tungsten in the chat. I appreciate him thinking it wasn't technical difficulties, but it was the fact that maybe it was the lack of likes. So it wasn't an encore we were hoping for. It was actually more of a a pre-core, if you will. Uh, But I'm doing good. I'm doing very, very well. I'm excited about this draft. A lot to get into. Uh, I keep saying it. Maybe Brett Veach was Brett Reed this draft but it doesn't mean it was necessarily a bad draft uh i will always throw the caveat out before we get into everything we understand you can't give draft grades before they've played a snap but also what fun is that what fun is that well we gotta have some entertainment some fun so what we're gonna you do is use our best judgment with what we know now on may 3rd to give our grades to give our opinions but frankly best i'm very excited yeah you hear a lot of complaints about just let it let it play out right let it play out you know veach knows better than you let me tell you if people weren't covering this stuff as an audience you would be bored af so we're going to do our best to prognosticate and predict the future and just like you said use the information we have try to look at it as objectively as we can and i i think the the benefit of having the weekend to dive in and then having a few days to, to step back, digest it all, decompress is uh, we're kind of trying to come to this with clear eyes. Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. If you guys want to do us a huge solid, go to DraftKings, use promo code Arrowhead. And if you bet $5 on any sport, get 150 back in bonus bets instantly, win or lose. Again, code Arrowhead at DraftKings. New customers only 200 plus from physically present in Kansas. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Valid one offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $5 wage required. Rewards issued as is not with variable bonus bets and expire seven days after being awarded. See full terms at DraftKings.com. And if you are a player, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't end up like Calvin Ridley and Jameson Williams. Man. Uh, or the Lions that actually got cut. At least Williams didn't do it on the NFL. He did it just being at the uh, facility, which, again, why are you? First off, if you're making that much money, why are you betting? Come on, guys. You're better than this. At least go to a casino. Uh, You know, I I find the whole thing fascinating. I wouldn't even put myself in that situation, but who knows? Maybe I would because I'm a dumbass. But I'd like to think I wouldn't put myself even in that situation, even if it's a gray line. If I'm making that much money, why risk it? Well, especially those guys who are kind of on the fringe of being NFL players. It's one thing for Calvin Ridley 
when you're pretty secure, when you're Jamison Williams and you're pretty secure, if you're a fringe roster guy, you should be doing every single thing by the book, racking up all the extra credit, staying out of trouble. I don't get it. Their careers might be done, unfortunately. Uh, but let's instead look at some players whose careers are just starting. And new segment for you guys today. We're going to do the awards again, bringing them back after a, a brief hiatus, the 2023 Casey Draft Class Awards. Uh, time to hand out some hardware. We're going to do the first three rounds, and then we're going to dive in uh, to the day three and undrafted free agent list and kind of digest that as well. So let's dig in. The first award is the One Mean MF Award. I can pick anyone I choose, and I choose Ben Richards. That boy's one mean motherfucker. <laughs> there, uh, that's from one of my favorite movies growing up, The Running Man. Uh, two things always get me, and that's little kids cursing and, and old ladies cursing. I mean, you know, you, you can't beat those two things. Always funny. This one goes to wide receiver Rasheed Rice. And I'm going to say this is my favorite pick after digging into the, to the tape because of fit. And I, I think he's criminally underrated. I stayed up until like 3.30 in the morning putting together a video, just digging through everything I could, trying to learn everything I could about him. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling great about it. I don't know where kind of the, negative, uh, the negativity started with this guy. I'm not sure if it's the kind of dynasty fantasy, fantasy community or draft Twitter or what, but I think there was a whole lot of groupthink with Rasheed Rice. And today we should do everything we can to unravel that and, and get like a real look at who Rasheed Rice is. And he's not a perfect player, but I do think he is a perfect Bit. And there's a big difference between that. So last year, he played with turf toe. I don't think that's being mentioned a whole lot, but that's pretty important for, for a position like this, right? Maybe not so much if you're an offensive lineman, but if your job is to run and, and stop and start on a dime, very important. And, and yet he racked up 1,355 yards and 10 touchdowns. He was the top uh, – wide receiver in this class when it comes to yards per route run versus zone. That's also very important when we talk about replacing Juju, which, which uh, we will get to best vertical in the class, top three, 10 yard split in the class. And actually his, his uh, 10 yard split was every bit as good as Jalen Hunt, surprisingly. So it tells you a lot about intentions they're looking for that like short to intermediate burst explosiveness and not so much for a field stretcher because they already have that in MVS. The other thing I want to add is that he, he almost has too much dog in him. I think some of the separation uh, worries stem from this dude wants all the smoke. He almost feels more comfortable like leaning into contact, going back into contact when just get, you know, just separate, just do your thing. You don't have to be Bo Jackson running over Bosworth every play. And I think that's coachable. So I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on the player and the fit, especially 
there's so many uh, similarities to me when you go back and you look at what Juju has been good at in the pros and the prospect Juju was in college that I think this is obviously the plan. Uh, they had a, a sort of test drive with Smith Schuster last year, and now they're looking for the permanent, the permanent thing. Yeah, you mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster. Brett Veach mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster, and I think that's obviously a great comp. You mentioned the top yards per route run versus zone. What did Juju do great? He was great at finding the weak spots, the soft spots in the zone. Juju Smith-Schuster was not the most athletic guy. He wasn't known for getting separation. It makes a lot of sense, the comparisons between Rice and Juju. I've stated multiple times this week, and I'll say it again, I love Juju to have production in college. I know it's you can go both ways. Like CEH had a ton of production in college that didn't work out well, but I always like guys that have the production because that means they've done it at that level. I don't care if it's SMU having the most receiving yards or most receiving yards per game in the FBS last year, third most receiving yards overall in the FBS is huge. That means he was not um, he was above the competition he was going up against, and he didn't have Bryce Young or CJ Stroud throwing him the rock. It was the SMU quarterback. That's a big difference as well. Yes, the separation concerns, I think, are valid to an extent. But the Chiefs need a guy who can go up and get it. Those back shoulder throws, I think Rice is going to be perfect for that. Not only that, in the NFL, that's going to draw a lot more penalties. In college, they let you play a little. They, They let the cornerbacks play in college. I don't know if you've noticed this a lot, but in college football, College defensive backs can grab, they can hold. Rarely do they throw a flag. NFL, we know it's a big difference. We might see Rice draw a ton of penalties. And you know who drew the most penalties uh, for pass interference in all of college last year? This guy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Someone said in, in the chat that he's going to the practice squad for a year. That would be an unmitigated disaster to use a top 55 pick on a receiver who's not from kind of a small school, but not like a small school, uh, not the size Moore, of Sky Moore. Yeah. 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 No, uh, it wouldn't be an unmitigated disaster, but it wouldn't be good. I understand what he's saying that rice is more of a unproven commodity. You're, you're betting at least a little bit on the upside. I get what tone B is saying there. And I think He's more implying that it's going to be a growing period for him, especially as angry, drunken German says, it's going to get the sky more reps. It's going to get, uh, cause sky is going to move up. Now rice is the red shirt player, basically where you get a few snaps here and there. And you read this offense, as we all know, rookies, it takes a long time for them to make an impact. Tyree kill. If we're always going to use him as the, the guy we're looking towards, you're always going to fall short. Tyree kill was the outlier. It's the same reason why when, People kept saying, well, they have to find the replacement for Tyree Kill. Good luck. You will always be searching. You, you can't find that comp. It's like trying to find who's going to be the next Travis Kelsey. The Chiefs were lucky when they tried to find the next Tony Gonzalez. They got lucky. They found him in, in Travis Kelsey. But for me personally, if you're always searching for the next Tyreek, you will come up short. So finding 
the next Juju. That's a more realistic comp. And by the way, the Chiefs won when Juju was the number one wide receiver. So I think it's it's fair. It's easy. And uh, I think Rice has a lot of those similarities. Maybe not this year. I'm not saying Rice will be Juju Smith-Schuster this year. I don't think he's going to go for 933 yards. That's not what I'm saying. But I think in the future, maybe the his sophomore year, that's a very realistic possibility. And could he bust? Sure. Sure he could. But what I like about this kid, he has some Isaiah Pacheco in him. He is, he is chomping at the bit. I think he loves football. You see it in the way he plays, the way he blocks. I know that's one of the things that had to – to uh, draw the team to him. You'll see him 25, 30 yards down, downfield, just burying defensive backs. Uh, short-term, I do not think he's going to fill Juju's shoes completely. But long-term, I think there's potential to surpass what Juju has been since injuries took their toll, right? We talk about Juju, but we've got to remember there's like 2017 and 18 Juju, and then – post-injury, not nearly as good, Juju. And, and I think he can be Kansas City Juju for sure. The upside for him is something in the Godwin to Brandon Ayuk territory. I think that is best-case scenario. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's going to do that. But stylistically, there are some similarities, and I think he's got that kind of upside. He's not, he's not just a, a, a floor pick, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I would be stoked if he ended up being one of those two dudes. The one thing I do want to say, uh, I said it on Twitter and I caught some flack. I, I don't know if everyone took or understood the side I was on. I said, fair or not, you're going to see Rasheed Rice compared a lot to the dudes who went after him who were more highly touted. The Jalen Hyatts, the Cedric Tillmans, the uh, Marvin Mims the three guys who went after him who on the majority of folks' draft boards were higher, right? Not only that, Brett Veach traded up for Rasheed Rice. It's not going to be fair to Rice. In my opinion, it should all be on Brett Veach, but Rasheed Rice needs to be better than those three guys specifically or else you're going to start falling into the territory of the McCall Hardman who was drafted after him, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin. Nobody remembers that Andy Isabella was drafted right after him. No one brings that name up. You automatically go to the guys that had successes. So fair or unfair to McCole Hardman, in my opinion, that should be on Brett Veach more than anything. That's going to be there. George Pickens, always compared to Sky Moore because the Chiefs traded back from that pick, right? They traded back with the Patriots. The Steelers took George Pickens, and then the Chiefs went with Sky Moore. So for that reason, you always have the correlation and connection with Sky and George Pickens. It's the same thing now. You'll see the comps. I'm going to try and stay away from it, even though you know me. I was big on the Cedric Tillman train. That's who I thought they were going with. It's going to happen. So be be aware. Be prepared. But also, don't blame Rasheed Rice. If you're going to blame anyone, blame Brett Veach. Yeah, and I like Cedric Tillman, and I think he's more of a sure thing. He has a lower ceiling than Rasheed Rice. I feel very Agreed. comfortable saying that his floor is much higher. I don't think there's any way Cedric Tillman busts. Jalen Hyatt, Hyatt, ooh, I can easily see him busting because I have never seen a wide receiver with more manufactured production in college than he had. He, he played in that gimmicky offense. The field is different in, in college. The rules are different. You can stack these receivers so they can't get any press coverage. Uh, I think there were a lot of question marks about him 
And I know Chiefs fans have been clamoring for a big X receiver, a prototypical X, or someone who can can bring back Tyree Kill's uh, field stretching. But I don't think that's who the Chiefs are now. I think they're, they are a yards out of the catch, physical offense. And the way they generate explosive plays is by getting guys open underneath, in the middle of the field. They're not a vertical offense anymore. They're not dropping bombs on people's heads. That's just not the era we're in anymore. So I think for the era we're in right now and the way Mahomes and Reed and Veach want this offense to play, this is the right player for the right time. Yeah, I'm excited for Rice. I, I think he's going to be a great addition to this team, even if he doesn't have a large role this season. Uh, I am going to root for Rasheed Rice. I do think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him starting year two, just based on the guys drafted after him. Again, unfair to him, but we saw the same thing with McColl. We saw the same thing starting to happen with Sky Moore. Again, Sky Moore, pump your brakes. I think Sky Moore is going to have a breakout year this season. And again, I'm excited about, uh, about Rasheed Rice, but I just want to throw that caveat out there. Let's get into the next award the most versatile substance on the planet. The most versatile substance on the planet. And they used it to make a Frisbee. Well, hopefully, Felix Anaduke Uzama, I think I got that right, will, will be more than a Frisbee for the Chiefs. You got a critique on the pronunciation? Felix Anaduke Uzama. Felix Anaduke. Felix Anaduke Uzama. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm going with. That's what I did. I had to do radio hits before he was drafted by Kansas City. I was doing, I was out there at Rally House. Let me, let me just set the stage for you really quickly. Just on how FAU's day went. I was doing hits down at Rally House. Shout out to Doc who listens to this. He came down from the Northland, hung out with me for like 30 minutes. Patrick Allen actually stopped by for a while. It was a lot of fun. Uh, also, we gave away a, a free starter hoodie, which is pretty cool. So sometimes if you come visit us, we have free stuff to give away. It was pretty cool. But FAU was doing um, a meet and greet with fans. And he's obviously from the Kansas City area. He went to K-State. On the draft day, he's hanging out with the fans. No idea he's going to be drafted by them. All of a sudden, he's going to the NFL draft, hanging out just like one of us, one of the fans. Next thing you know, he's drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, the team he grew up watching, watching Matt Castle, which, sorry for him, that's the team he grew up watching. They draft him. He can get married. That wedding day might not top that Thursday. That's an incredible day for FAU. You better keep that secret from his wife, though. <laughs> or that marriage might not last very long. So Sterling and I, I think, have a consensus on this player that he doesn't have one dominant thing or trait, but he doesn't have any holes. He's good across the board, pretty much everywhere. So high motor, great production, 25.5 uh, tackles for a loss and 19.5 sacks over his last uh, two seasons. Long enough arms, win rate for true pass set was 32.5. That's similar to Will Anderson and Lucas Van Ness. And you know, that's in the big 12. It may not be in the SEC, but the big 12 is still no joke. He had a 19, uh, 90th percentile Three cone, which shows he's, he's a little bendier than advertised, right? And one of my favorite things about this player is King Felix is a tape junkie. We're not going to say King Felix. 
We're not going to do it. King Felix was already a guy. Yeah, it was Felix Hernandez pitcher for the Mariners. We're not doing it. Same way I hate when the Royals call him junior. There was already a famous junior. It's Ken Griffey. I'm sorry. It's taken. So you are or against, Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> you're against the uh, the Greek freak too for for uh, George Karloftis. A little different, little different, but but mean, yes. What do you mean? What do you mean? I, little, I like little Furi- I like Furious George. I like Furious George. I'm sorry, but King Felix. I already automatically think of Felix Hernandez. I, I, we got to be more creative. We can do it. I know we can. I mean, some of us don't don't give two shits about baseball, and that's on you, pal. You're looking at one of those guys right there. It's it's all football all the time. Yeah, one of my favorite things about FAU, how's that, is that he is a tape junkie. And I, I heard this time and time again, listening to podcasts, reading up on him this weekend, that he is the most intelligent edge in this class. He, he diagnoses tendencies of offensive linemen and offenses he's going up against. He really wants to know exactly what his opponent is going to do and what his plan to combat that will be. And he, I also like that he just doesn't have one move. You know, he's not Zoolander. He doesn't just do one thing. He, he has some power. He has some bend. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just blue steel all the time. He has, uh, he has a variety of moves in his arsenal. I think that, uh, I guess what we should discuss here is, how soon should we expect him to make an impact? How many snaps percentage wise will he see in year one? I don't think a ton. I think potentially less than people are expecting right now. What's great about this draft and what the chiefs have done is they don't need any of these rookie draft picks to make a major impact. They don't need to see major snaps. It's not Trent McDuffie who was taken basically over CB one on the outside because uh, Chivarius Ward was gone. It's not George Karloftis who needed to immediately come in and start because there was no one else there. I, I think what you're looking at right now is a rotational piece who will get more and more snaps as the season progresses. Uh, Karloftis will probably end the year as – bar an injury, of course. This is all bar an injury. Karloftis will, will probably end the year as the main focal point on one side. The other side you're going to see Mike Dana maybe get the first crack. Uh, you'll see Charles who play on the outside unless he's playing a lot on the inside alongside Chris Jones, which Brett, Brett Beach already, already alluded to. Um, and then you'll obviously have FAU. Uh, I like FAU, but I, I again, I, I think it's going to take a little bit more time for him to get a ton of snap counts, a lot of the snap share, uh, probably more than people think. Not in a bad way. I'm not saying he's not ready. I just think Mike Dana and Charles who are going to get the first crack, and Carl Lodgers will obviously be entrenched on the other side. I don't disagree with that. The way I would classify this is that Karloftis was more pro ready, but has a lower upside. Is that fair? Yeah. I always thought Karloftis and the reason why I was very high on him coming out. If you ever listened to me before that draft, I was high on him because the floor was so high. The floor was high and the chief needed someone week one game one to make an impact or at least start. I know the sacks didn't come until later in the year, but the pressures were there. And if you look at defensive ends traditionally, look at Kayvon Thibodeau, look at uh, Aiden Hutchinson, look at Carl Lopez, look at when the uh, impact really started to happen. It's about halfway through the season. Offensive linemen, uh, edge rushers, 
It typically takes about half the way through the year, even for rookies, to really make an impact. Look at Andrew Thomas, offensive lineman for the Giants. His rookie year was a disaster. They wanted him out. Second year, he's one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL. Like those two positions in particular, to me, take a lot of time. The growing period there, even if you are ready. And that's, again, why I think FAU might take around week five, six, seven, eight, before he really starts getting a ton of that snap share. Yeah, I think in the trenches, it's totally different than receiver and cornerback, where if you don't see something as a rookie, they're in trouble. On the line, if you don't see something as a rookie, they can still totally make it. Hmm. So I, I think we should maybe dial back our expectations for him short term, but long term, I think we have to be pretty optimistic that he's going to be a solid starter in this league. And if he doesn't play that, that necessarily isn't because of him or, or an indictment of his talent, Charles and the team really likes him and spent a pretty penny to bring him into Kansas city to give him snaps that he simply could not get in San Francisco. That's another thing to remember about, about Charles, uh, about Chuck. He just could not see the field as much as his talent warranted because he's playing with monsters like Bosa. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for FAU. I think the Chiefs right now having two edge rushers on rookie deals, even if they're just above average guys, because I'm not going to sit here and tell you FAU is going to be a, a Watt brother or a Bosa brother. Also, they didn't draft and they drafted him at 31. They're not drafting top five, top 10. They're not drafting him where Will Anderson was drafted, right? You're drafting at 31. Uh, but I do think that the, the floor eventually is going to be there just based on what his production was at K-State and having two rookie edges on those rookie contracts is massive. Look at what these contracts, these edge rushers are getting around the NFL. It's absurd. It's obscene. That's a great value for Kansas City. Um, I'm excited. And also, I think the production of him playing in a 3-3-5 defense at K-State, which is very untraditional, it's not NFL-style defense, actually bodes well. Uh, getting double teamed a ton at K-State, having to find ways to put up numbers in an untraditional mode, uh, I think is actually huge for his development. Putting him with Joe Cullen makes me excited as well. Um, again, the more I've dove into this pick, because originally I was not super stoked, uh, but the more I've dove into FAU and his fit here in Kansas City, the more excited I've become. I'm glad he's not Will Anderson, because what the Texans gave up to get Will Anderson, he has to be Lawrence Taylor for that to, to be a return on investment. I'm a I'm huge Will Anderson guy, man. I, he, I, he, hey, he's great. He's great. But they traded up. The compensation they surrendered to trade up, that w- you only do that for a quarterback. Sure. In my, in my, in my opinion. And the, the alternative to drafting someone like FAU was maybe you trade for Chase Young. And if Chase Young hits this year, well, great. That's awesome. But his salary is going to be the budget for a Marvel movie. You know what I mean? So I really like this affordable path forward to edge. Mike Dana, very affordable. Charles Aminihue, if you look at similar players, uh, Denver signed one. He was a bargain as well. So I, I like the potential productivity per dollar spent. The one thing I will say with Will Anderson, uh, just moving on, I had a chance to interview him, sit down with him, and he is a great person, just fun to interview. And I could definitely see why he would sway a GM to make that move because he's he commands a room. 
He's very outgoing and personable. The stats, the hardware is all there as well. He just seems like a guy that everyone would rally around just based on his personality. So I completely understand why Detroit, or why the Houston Texans are probably thinking, you know what, if we're going to build a new defense here, we need to have a guy. Who are we going to build around? Who is going to be our leader? And also not get uh, too big for his britches. Like he's a guy who understood. He was talking about at Alabama how he understood he had to go from his number to eventually being Will Anderson by Saban. He understands going to Houston. He's not going to be the guy. He has to earn that, even though he was drafted third overall. That, to me, is huge. So that's my little takeaway at Will Anderson. I'm very, very high on him. And the other thing I will say to kind of maybe agree with you, because of which franchise it is, they've been out in the wilderness. Irrelevant. They are desperate to turn the page from the the, the, the Deshaun Watson debacle. And if, if you now have your franchise player on offense and on defense, you can turn the page, take a step forward, try to become relevant. But I'm going to tell you, if, if that pick ends up being, that first round pick they gave up, ends up being Caleb Williams, they're going to hate themselves. Texans fans are going to hate it. It's going to be a huge debacle. Mm. Uh, let's get into the next award, the Who the Hell Knows Award. Eastbound and down, roll it up and truck it. Come on, I can do a little Burt Reynolds. There you go. Yeah, I think you can. I don't want to see you on the bearskin rug, though. No offense. Seriously, I can do it. I'll get on the bearskin. Some of our listeners might like that. I'm going to look so good. (laughs) So we feel like we have our finger on these these first two two, uh, prospects, rookies. But the third one, our third-round pick, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma, Wanye Morris, I just don't know what to think about him. And where I've landed is that he is yet another sort of developmental right tackle project like Darian Kennard, like Lucas Niang. So I think that's the case, but the upside is clear. So in the 2019 high school class, he was the fifth-rated tackle. He was up there with Darnell Wright, with Evan Neal, with some guys who are, who are kind of considered blue chips now. But he never fully realized that potential. Uh, 100th percentile wingspan, you like that. I know Andy Heck likes that. I know, yeah, he's, he's got – it's like that Jordan poster, you know? He, he's, he's an excellent athlete. I really think he's an excellent athlete. And that's where the upside comes from. But he can have sloppy hands a little bit. I think he needs refinement. And uh, the other thing that needs to be mentioned here, because everyone knows he plays, he played with Trey Smith. He played uh, in Oklahoma under the same coach that, that coached Orlando Brown Jr. and Creed Humphrey. But he is the fourth Duke Mannyweather pupil in three years. If you don't know who Duke Mannyweather is, he is kind of the guru for offensive linemen uh, prospects the number one guy who, if you want to improve your technique, you go to him. So where does Wanye Morris fit in in the battle for the right tackle spot? I think that's what, what Chiefs fans want to know. That's what I want to know. Maybe you have more insight than I do. He might have been my favorite pick, honestly. I, I'm very enthused by him. I don't know if he starts right away. Again, I think Lucas Niang is probably the incumbent. I like Lucas Niang. You know how much I like Niang. If you've listened to this podcast the past two years, I've been very high on him. 
um, one of the first dudes I ever really dove into like a, a deep film study on. And I came away very impressed with Niang, but he's not been able to stay healthy. And that's obviously a massive thing. You can be great, but if you're not healthy, what good do you do your team? Same situation with Sammy Watkins. Uh, I like Morris a lot for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one being he was a five-star recruit coming out of, uh, out of college or co- coming out of high school. Right. Um, and then not only that, he backed it up with being a first team all sec freshmen at left tackle at left tackle and that's in the sec you're going against top end talent at tennessee week in and week out uh, and not only that he might have had a quote-unquote down year last year right mm-hmm. but part mm-hmm. of that was that's his third system in college he was at tennessee then tennessee fired their head coach he goes to oklahoma well guess what then lincoln riley's out so then he has to go under a new guy i mean that's a lot of change we've talked about how it affected baker mayfield when he was drafted to the browns right it was like four oh season four year uh four years i mean it's a lot for an offensive line alex smith right sure sure it's a lot to overcome so if you want a guy who's going to now have some stability work with one of the best offensive line coaches in andy heck he obviously has the pedigree and the background again when he was a freshman he did have that title all freshman sec right that's a huge deal at left tackle i have to say i'm enthused and it's not a he has those long arms but he uses them well. He's an athletic tackle, right? It's not Orlando Brown Jr. It's more, uh, if you want just a comp since we're here in Kansas City, Eric Fisher. You look at what he looks like. He doesn't look like he's overweight. He looks like a very large tight end. He moves well. Uh, again, the more I've, I've talked about Wanya Morris, the more I'm getting excited by him. Yeah. You see a philosophical shift away from the cinder block feet of Orlando Brown Jr., and towards these players that are dancing bears. Juwan Taylor, his body type, looks a lot like Wanya Morris. Uh, so I think after feeling out Orlando Brown Jr., having Eric Fisher, I think they decided, we want to go back to Eric Fisher. We want to have better athletes who can protect Patrick Mahomes when he, he breaks free of structure and extends plays. And Orlando Brown Jr., for all his strengths, not suited to do that. You know, he just isn't fleet of foot, bigger guy. We're moving in a more athletic direction. And I really think it is uh, the right direction to go. Hopefully he is the right tackle for the future. I I, I would believe so. Frankly, I I think that this is a sign for Lucas Niang. It's your time. Lucas, if you can't stay healthy, if you can't perform, we are moving on. Darian Kennard at this point, I'm going to assume is more of a guard. They tried moving him around a guard last year. Was that because they needed some depth there or is it because they thought he wasn't going to be good enough at tackle remains to be seen. But if I had my, uh, my gumptions about it, I'm assuming he's more of a guard. And again, not a bad thing at all. He's got a little nasty streak and you're going to have to eventually have some backup offensive linemen uh, there's no no reason to not have a a depth piece anywhere so I, I like having Kennard there Prince Tegawanogo might be the other guy that's kind of going under the radar I'm not completely sold on him so I think it's between Niang and, and Morris but I think Niang gets the first crack but if Morris ends up starting week one that's a good thing that means he earned that spot Right. And I think the franchise, the, the front office, the coaching staff, they're rooting for Niang. They want him to hold down the job. At this point, they just had to have an insurance plan. And Wanye is that insurance plan. I, I'm on, uh, in total agreement with you on Darian Kennard. The book on him 
from most, uh, most people coming into the draft was that he was a guard. And the Chiefs said, no, we think he might be able to, to be a tackle if we can fix some technique issues. And I think that experiment, maybe if we're reading in between the lines, failed pretty quickly. They're thinking of him now as a guard, which we shouldn't give up on him. I mean, Joe Tooney might not be here that, that much longer. He's getting older. Trey Smith might not be here forever. So it's nice to have another guard in the developmental pipeline, but I'm kind of out on him as a potential right tackle starter. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the day three, guys, we have an Arrowhead Addict merch store. And guess what? It is now live. You can visit right now by clicking the link in the description below. We've got everything from shirts to hoodies to baby onesies. Uh, we have a, a pint glass. Uh, we have everything that you guys might want in that store. If you want to take a look, I know we got a lot of people when I did that uh, live podcast in person with Patrick. They were talking and commenting about my Arrowhead Addict white hoodie. Well, boom. There you go. White hoodie right there. QR code as well. Um, it obviously helps us, helps, helps us out a ton. Obviously, it means the world just even repping us. That's really cool that you guys would even do that. But hats, anything you guys want, go to the merch store. And if you want 20% off, yeah, not 10%, 20% off, we have this secret promo code for this week's listeners. Use code CTCRUNCH to get 20% off your order. It'll expire on Sunday, but that's CT Crunch, 20% off. What does CT Crunch stand for? Captain Crunch, I'm assuming. I don't make these, okay? This is a, a Richard behind the scenes thing, uh, but I'm gonna go out on the lint. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cinnamon okay. Toast Crunch. You you and I really are, I mean, maybe you are. I'm definitely not part of the uh, serial wars that take place here at AA. I think that's... That's Patrick and Verderam, right? Well, it's not really a war when Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the champion, so I don't really know what, where to go from here. Undisputed, I'd say. I'm a granola guy. Not very exciting. But you, that's... you what's the, uh, not corn nuts. What, what are those, the old-timey, not bran. Um, what's the old-timey uh, food? Cornflakes? Not cornflakes, you know, the grape nuts. You, you strike me as a grape ah, nuts kind of guy. Nah, man, nah, no. Like, like, I, I like some like new school hippie granola. Before we digress any further, let's get into the uh, day three overall draft class thoughts. Uh, Chamari Connor, defensive back, Virginia Tech, was picked 119th. Part of the trend of Beach trading up to get his guy. The interesting thing here is I think Spags and Beach and the rest of the brain trust liked him so much. They were considering getting him in round three. I'm glad they showed some or exercised some restraint there because one of the keys to draft success, even if you want to reach a little bit to get your guy, is you just can't do so to an absurd degree. Like, I, I understand what they did with Rasheed, Rasheed Rice and, and here, but if they would have went into round three, that would have been bad. Uh, let's start with what Brett Beach had to say about Connor. He's just a versatile defensive back. He's a guy that can play free safety. He can play down low at the strong safety position. He also has some big nickel flex. I think he's a guy that can come down in the box and cover some athletic tight ends. I mean, he's a big kid. He's really smart. So when I hear that, I'm thinking, hmm, they drafted a Swiss Army knife, right? 
are they already planning ahead for the departure of Legere Sneed and trying to find a fit there? Is this Justin Reed isn't going to be under contract forever? Maybe we want an out with him. Or is this just depth? What do you think? What's your read on why they went up to get Connor? I will say year one, Dave Tobe is going to be a happy man. I think this is just uh, year one. It's a depth piece, Sonny. You, you probably won't see him hardly at all on the defensive side of the ball year one. Um, tons of safeties, tons of safeties this year. Uh, obviously, Mike Edwards, uh, Justin Reed, and then now Brian Cook from last year. Uh, he's kind of that in-betweener where he can do a little of the same things that Shamari Connor can. I don't see Shamari Connor playing cornerback, at least in the NFL right now. He did have five and a half sacks one year at Virginia Tech, being that versatile slot corner. But – He's not known for being super quick. He ran a 4-5. Legereus Sneed ran a 4-3. So why you want to make the case that both are the versatile types? They are, but Legereus was the versatile type that went to corner. Uh, This was the versatile type that's probably going to end up playing safety. Not a bad thing, but I'm trying to take a realistic take on this right now. Uh, I like the pick. I actually do like the pick because the Chiefs have shown a great affinity for identifying talent in the secondary and they know what they're looking for. And even guys that were not successful other places have been successful here. Uh, Bashad Breland, while not drafted here, his only real good time in the NFL was here in Kansas City. Kendall Fuller looked really good here in Kansas City. Chevarius Ward, undrafted to getting a massive payday in San Fran. The Chiefs know how to identify and know what they're looking for in developing talent in the secondary. So I think the same can be said with Chamari Connor. Now, again, I don't know if it's going to be a Legereus Sneed replacement for that reason of Legereus Sneed is the outlier to me. He is the unique piece. Um, he seems more like a almost Tyron Matthew, not, not the same talent level or upside as Tyron Matthew. I'm not trying to go there and, and start that. A little different, but a safety more so than a slot corner. That's what I see from Chamari Connor. I think he can play in the slot. I've heard that projection. I think the difference between him and Snead is you're not going to see Chamari Connor travel with DK Metcalf. That's just not going to happen. He's not that kind of athlete. I think if he does play corner, he will be uh, strictly limited to the slot. Whereas Legere Snead can play outside. He can go wherever you want to go. He can shadow whoever, Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown. This is not in Chamari Connor's range of outcomes. Yeah. But I do think we're at the point with the Chiefs. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna critique their their defensive back selections. They're no. they're the best at the league, especially on day three at uncovering these hidden gems. And for most positions, I'll I'll gladly play armchair GM and nitpick the death out of them. For defensive backs, I'm just not gonna do it. They they have almost a flawless track record here, and after. After Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson last year, particularly Jalen Watson, who had an interception in the playoffs against Trevor Lawrence, he had another one against Joe Burrow, just kind of uh, is a big game player. He also basically won the game against Justin Herbert. So I think this could be another late round find. Let's hope so. Yeah. If you're looking at a decent comp, I just thought of this right now. If he's is going to play some corner, probably more Rashad Fenton. 
Rashad Fenton also ran a four or five uh, similar height. Rashad Fenton, I think was five eleven, uh, but he was kind of a bigger stockier guy, right? Uh, Connors is six foot, kind of that bigger guy. Rashad Fenton was fine against tight ends for the most part. If you had to throw him up against a bigger body guy like that, not a speedster. I think you might make the case that Connor could do the exact same thing. Yeah. And I know a lot of people didn't think drafting two defensive backs in this draft class of seven was necessarily the right way to go. But I would argue that you can never have enough defensive backs and that we, we played with fire a little bit last year because when we traded Rashad Denton, our depth chart was, was pretty short. We were one injury away from DiCaprio Boodle uh, trying to defend AJ Brown and Devonta Smith in the Super Bowl, Right. And I, I don't think anybody wants to see that happen again, nothing against DiCaprio. He's, hung on to the roster for dear life. And I'm sure he's a good kid and, and a decent player, but uh, the depth is important at that position. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next guy, BJ Thompson edge from Stephen F. Austin. I, uh, I'll admit, I didn't know Stephen F. Austin had a football program. I know Hunter Dozier, uh, Kansas city Royal played baseball there. I know Thomas Walkup. Uh, wasn't it Thomas Walkup, the dude that had a great uh, March madness for Stephen F. Austin. So I knew they had a basketball program. Didn't know they had football, but here we are in B.J. Thompson. What did you see in him? The Lumberjacks. What an amazing mascot. I don't know if if Texas makes me think of Lumberjack, but oh well. Uh, So what I see here, remember last week when we were talking about draft crushes, I mentioned Will McDonald. I mentioned B.J. Ojolari. I even mentioned Robert Beal. Really wanting the Chiefs to get a lighter designated pass rusher who's kind of a speed demon on the outside don't have to be a three down guy and I think the Chiefs and maybe it's defensive line coach uh, Joe Cullen who's who's new to the to the, uh, the coaching staff maybe it is him rubbing off on on uh, on um, I'm gonna get a phrasing here aren't I? Uh, on Steve Spagnolo but this is a different kind of edge for Spags Spags usually likes them stout, powerful, high motor. He doesn't really care about bend or speed. But this kid, I mean, he's a freak. 90th percentile, 40, broad and vertical. I'm sure everyone's seen the clip of him winning a dunk contest in in college. He was originally a power five recruit, went to Baylor. I'm not sure why that didn't work out. Perhaps because he just couldn't keep on weight, which is the big worry about him. I think think we need to... uh, call up Joe's and Gates and Jack stack and put him on an eating plan, you know, just gorge your, your face with, with barbecue for three months and see if we can put another 20 pounds on him. But uh, I, I think he's going to be a different kind of player, kind of a change up pitch for this defensive pa- pass rush. Um, close to elite height wingspan three cone. I mean, just athletic athletically off the charts. And in terms of production, now, this is, albeit this is against lower competition, but he had an 18.6 pass rush win, uh, win rate. So that's pretty good. That's BJ Ojolari type territory. I've used him as a comp. He's not going to have that kind of ceiling. And I think if you draft a Will McDonald at 15 or a BJ Ojolari early in the uh, second round, uh, or even your guy, Nolan Smith, you expect them to eventually become three down players. With this kid, with where we picked him in the fifth round, we don't need that. He can be a designated pass rusher. He can be a guy that plays 10 or 12 snaps a game 
And if he gets a few pressures, mission accomplished. Yeah, I like taking a chance on a higher upside guy, developmental pass rusher in the fifth. Uh, I didn't like Joshua Cando the previous year. I didn't. I, I wasn't a huge fan of Tano Passigno. I actually thought by the time Tano Passigno was here and started to develop, I was like, all right, now I'm starting to get in, in, at least a little enticed by Tano Passigno. Then he went to the Saints, got hurt, uh, career never really took off. Um, but in the fifth round, where the current state of the D-line sits for the Chiefs, this is the type of move I can get behind. You're right. He adds a different wrinkle to the organization. He has a different wrinkle to the pass rush. Uh, the one thing I will say, it's not as easy as, as just saying, yeah, he'll put on some weight. It's easy to say that. It's a lot more difficult than you might think. Uh, for me, myself, not, not hard to put on weight. I can put on weight very easily. Not a big deal. But some of these guys, when they're working out as much as they are, the metabolism sits where it is it's not as, as easy as putting on, yeah, I'll put on 20 pounds. I had a cousin who played football at, I think it was Virginia or Virginia Tech. I, I thought it was Virginia. He was moving from tight end to D end. He, they, were, they were trying to figure it out, and he had to put on a lot of weight. It was horrible for him. I mean, you're eating nonstop, nonstop. It's not just as simple as, yeah, I'm going to go eat a little bit of barbecue and call it a day. No, you're eating nonstop because you're working out nonstop as well. You're constantly burning off calories. So I hope you can put weight on. But I, I will say this seems like another pick where, at, at a minimum, Dave Tobe is going to be excited. He did have three blocked kicks in one year. That's a Dave wow. Tobe special. I was like that in college. I went to Emporia State to uh, in, uh, in Kansas, not here in Kansas, but in Kansas to play football. I was recruited as an outside linebacker, kind of just a, a pass rush specialist who could drop back and, and play coverage. I got moved to safety. Because they put me in the training table. They just couldn't put, I, I mean, I was stuck at, at 215. Just could not get over that hump. Didn't matter if I woke up at, at 3 in the morning, 5 in the morning to chug shakes, eating 10 times a day. Some people just do not have the frame to pack on, to pack on weight. And it, it's, it'll be interesting to see if he can pack on muscle, a functional, functional weight, right? Anybody can sit there and, and gain 20 pounds and look a little bigger at the combine. One of my worries is, and I have two of them, is I heard he gained a lot of weight to get up to 240. So how much of that weight is even going to stick? Is he really going to play at like 225? And if he's going to play at 225, he's not going to make it. Mm -hmm. The other issue I have here, and I heard Dane Brugler kind of critique this pick, he, he loved the upside here, but he thought, did they need to pick him this early? Could they have gotten him in the sixth? Could they potentially even got him in the seventh? So this is where a little bit of the Brett reach comes in. If you want a comp, though, complete opposite side of the spectrum because this player, Mike Dana, was drafted more as a floor guy. Uh, but the, And obviously, BJ Thompson is more upside. The thing I'll say about the, the comparisons here, Mike Dana at the time, Everyone was saying, what? He wasn't supposed to be drafted. If he was, it was going to be seventh round. All the way in the fifth? What are you doing for an edge rusher here? Turned out Mike Dana is still in the team having a really solid impact. B.J. Thompson, obviously they saw something in enough to where they go, we need to get him. I don't care if we're going early for him. We think there's something here that we can find and make him a viable asset to this team. It's a gamble, but a gamble in the fifth round, I'm all in. I think Tranview here has a great point about how much upside he has given his age. 
you know, he is already old. And if he is a developmental project who you are going to red shirt and not expect much, if anything, the first year, maybe even the second year, he's getting up there by the time he develops. Uh, but if you're going to reach, do it for a premium position. Don't do it for running back. Don't do it for linebacker. Do it for edge, corner, receiver, tackle. I like the positions we're trading up for. All right. Let's get into our overall Brett Veach takeaway. What was your, your takeaway on Brett Veach in the 2023 Chiefs NFL draft? I think he came in motivated to trade up. Like those extra picks were kind of burning a hole in his pocket. And if you see last year's rookie class, he had what, 10 or 11 rookies playing the Super Bowl. There just isn't enough rush, uh, roster spots with all the draft capital we had in 2023 and 2024, all those guys could not possibly make the team. So he really wanted to, to uh, take initiative and trade up, but the price was just too expensive in the first. And I am really, really glad that he didn't trade up and sell the farm for either Maisie Smith or Zay Flowers. I like both those play- players. I like Zay Flowers more than Maisie Smith. I think Zay Flowers is a fine receiver, but I'm, I'm glad we traded up for she rice in the second, instead of, uh, you know, trading a hall to get Zay flowers who I just don't think the gap between the, the tier one receivers and the tier two receivers in this particular class was big enough to kind of warrant a trade up. Right. Uh, when it comes to Maisie Smith, my big worry there, and I know a lot of Chiefs fans were high on him. I know the Chiefs brass was high on him. But when you have Chris Jones, when Mike Dana and Charles Amenahu, and let's not forget about Turk Wharton, are all best rushing the passer from inside, how is this guy going to have three-down viability? And if you are a first-round defensive tackle, you ha- simply have to play three downs. You have to rush the passer. You can't just be a run plugger. So I'm also glad that they waited to what um, round six to pick uh, Keandre Coburn, Coburn mm-hmm. from Texas. I think I, I'm not as big of a fan of him as other people are because he's a little weak and he's, he's a little short armed, but I think in terms of positional value and kind of having a good feel for how the draft is playing out, he did a good job there uh, and he used that excess capital to get his guys later so I thought it was it was really uh, good strategic strategy for him. Strategic strategy. I mean, that's kind of a overkill there. But he drafted pre- uh, premium positions early and mostly. And then I thought it was especially brilliant to pass on a running back. I came in. I don't know if you were like this. I was convinced with Jarek McKinnon going to be 31 next year. They love Isaiah Pacheco. We know that. But CEH, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. He's on the outs. I thought they were going to take a guy. That's why I liked Chase Brown. That's why I liked uh, Keaton Mitchell. But I think they had a feel that Deneric Prince, this kid they like from Tulsa, was going to be sitting there either round seven or potentially undrafted. And I kind of think he might make the roster. What do you think about Deneric Prince? 
Yeah, he might make the roster. I'm not going to go all in there yet. I think you're, you're probably looking at at least the top three is going to be uh, Isaiah Pacheco, obviously, Jerick McKinnon, obviously. And I do think CEH makes the team this year. It, they're probably not going to cut him. It doesn't save enough money to cut him. And if you want a legitimate just um, take everything that's out of the equation right now, I think he's a fine backup. He's not a great running back by any means, but he's fine. He can do a little, a little bit of everything. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco is going to get the lion's share of the carries. Drake McKinnon will be your third down back, at least as the season goes on. Uh, Generic Prince might make it. He might be, you know, on the 53, but not called up for, for game day. Um, maybe he's on the uh, practice squad. He, he might be in the mix somewhere, but I'm not going to get there yet. I, I'm not going to quite get there yet. Cause I do think it's going to be Isaiah McKinnon and CEH as your top three backs to at least start the season. Okay, so you have him kind of in the Derek Gore zone, right? A guy that might see some action is going to kind of float between the active roster and the practice squad, depending on health. I'm not as high on CEH at this point. I'm not going to say you're high on him. No, but he, but he was fine to the start last year. Tim and I know it's another injury, and I know all of, all the Super Bowl stuff. And at end of the day, it doesn't come from us to to be like, all right, uh, are we going to forgive Ceh for doing uh, a dress show, whatever that that uh, fashion show, instead of hanging with his teammates in the Super Bowl? That's not for us to decide. It's for his teammates. It's for his coaches. It's for Brett Veach. And Brett Veach said that they're glad. I mean, what's he going to say? But they said, you know, Brett Veach, they're glad that he's there. Or, uh, CH is there. Uh, you know, he was the first one in the building. As long as his teammates are cool with him, who cares what we think? Uh, that's what it comes down to. So if his teammates are cool with him after what transpired after the Super Bowl and that the Super Bowl parade, they forgive him. He'll probably be the, the third back. It's fun for us to talk about in the kingdom, but I think that all was overblown, right? What I don't think is overblown is that he's small and slow. And so I don't think he is the hardest player to unseat on the pecking order. And if you think about Jarek McKinnon, he hasn't particularly been a model of health throughout his NFL career. He's 31. uh, He's, I wouldn't want to call him brittle, but he's not the most durable of players. Would you agree that that assessment is fair? That's completely fair. And if you're going to play the other side of the coin, yeah, he's 31, but doesn't have a lot of miles sitting behind Adrian Peterson and sitting out those years with injuries. Uh, right. he's, he's surprisingly taken a lot fewer carries and hits than one might expect for a dude his age. And he's not the kind of player that uh, runs into contact or anything like that. He's pretty slippery out there. But I think as an insurance policy, um, Generic Prince, prototypical size, elite 40, actually surprisingly good in the screen game. That's what I came away thinking, oh, that's why he was so surprising to me. He does have some limitations, but I could see him getting playing time this season. I could also see him not making the roster. But for an undrafted free agent, I think this has about as much upside as you can hope for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my final thoughts on the draft from Brett Veach. I think we can't complain too much. He hit edge. He hit tackle. He hit wide receiver. The positions of quote unquote need in the first three rounds. Whatever your thoughts are on FAU, uh, looking at the board from where we sit right now, there's not much else he could have done. Uh, even if you're not enamored by him particularly, look at the draft. The draft looked great up until pick 20, and all of a sudden, all those dudes went off in succession. The Chiefs tried trading up. All the sources I've talked to say Brett Veach tried multiple times to trade up. Multiple times. 
takes two to tango. Could not do it. The reason why they didn't trade back, you might say, because they wanted fireworks and Clark Hunt coming out. I'll buy that to an extent, but also because they didn't want to get too cute. They liked FAU, but they could only trade back into the 40s, mid 40s. At that point, he is gone. Don't get too cute. Take a guy that you think can help your team. Uh, all things being considered, that was the move for Brett Veach. He did a fine job. Uh, I Again, Rasheed Rice, we'll see. Uh, wide receivers not been the best position of draft uh, drafting for, for Brett Veach. But again, benefit the doubt, dude has been to three Super Bowls in five years and won two. Can't complain too much. Whether these guys are studs, stars, or just average contributors, he finds a way to make them work, finds ways to get to the big game, finds ways to win the big game. I can't complain. So overall, Brett Veach, I'm trusting you a little bit here, but guess what? He's earned that trust. Yeah, and on his wide receiver evaluation history, he really hasn't taken that many bites out of the apple. And the one thing that I wanted to add earlier, but I forgot about McCole Hardman, is we always need to mention Tyreek Hill and his off-the-field issues because I think they had a vertical offense. Tyreek Hill made that thing chug. He was the key component. They, at that moment, were looking at, he may not be available, so we have to replace him. I think that's why they were looking at that archetype of player so I just think that always needs to be a footnote in the history of McCole Hardman and why, why Brett Beach selected him. And with Sky Moore, the way Big Red likes to redshirt, I mean, pun intended, uh, wide receivers, I just don't think we can compare him to George Pickens. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a complete different philosophy. They throw their wide receivers into the deep end, into shark-infested waters. That's just how they roll. The Chiefs do not operate like that. I mean, offensively, Andy Reid doesn't operate, operate like that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, the, the greatest talent the league has ever seen, sat out almost a complete year, started one game his rookie season. Isaiah Pacheco, we're all sitting here last season screaming at our TVs to put Pacheco in, and they took their time inserting him into the starting lineup. That's just how they do things. So um, overall with Brett Beach. I think we also have to remember when you said it takes two to tango, the chiefs are approaching that new England Patriots point where I think a lot of teams, especially when it comes to the first round, like, yeah, maybe the Bengals will do business with us later on in the draft. They don't want us trading up for Zay flowers, right? Some of these other teams don't want us to maybe NFC teams like the Cowboys, but I think it's going to be hard for us to find trading partners especially if we keep racking up championships and they tried to fleece the Raiders. I thought that was very funny that they wanted what uh, for 31, they wanted 38 and 70, which would have been an incredible haul. But, uh, and, and with the Raiders, you know, you always have to dangle out the bait because they are prone to stupid uh, draft day decisions, but they did not bite this time, unfortunately. And they kind of got lucky. I heard they wanted Michael Mayer in the, in the late first and he sort of dropped it in as their Darren Waller replacement. I mean, if uh, Clellan Farrell was there at 31, you better believe they were going to make that move. Oh, man, that's a deep cut. Got, it has to hurt. Uh, but right now you're hearing that Brett Veach didn't go after value as well as he did last year and that the Bengals, the Bills, and, and, and Chargers and our other rivals killed it. If, if that – story sounds familiar. It's all we heard off season last off season. So I think the chiefs are going to be just fine. They know their system. They're thinking long-term. 
They've been killing the draft lately. It wasn't just last year. I mean, it was finding uh, Creed and Bolton and Snead. So Brett Beach is on a heater, and I think we have to trust him until, until the hot hand becomes cold. You never go off when you're on a heater, unless it's this show when it comes to an end. In that case, we do have to get out at some point. Thank you to everyone for hanging out, listening with us, uh, everyone for commenting in the chat. We do really appreciate it. Again, if you want to go to the merch store, CT Crunch, 20% off. If you do want to go to DraftKings, use promo code Arrowhead. That does help us out a ton. If you want to leave us a review, that also helps out a lot. your guys' support means the world, and that's also how we get on great guests. Uh, obviously, like like Tice and Harmon, we had Trent Green on the show yesterday. I have some more guests that'll be fun coming up, some former players coming up throughout the offseason. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Adam Best, you take it out. All right, guys, this is Wacky Wednesday. Until next week, go Chiefs.